Welcome to my basement, everybody. I have a very special guest today. He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. In fact, Jeff Keeley, who is going to be on momentarily, was the uh, was actually in our pitch document for the Electric Playground back in uh, 1995 or 1996. We met him early. He was a journalist in uh, Toronto. Uh, covering video games. I think he was a teenager and uh, he first saw some of our early demo stuff uh, and uh, thought EP was kind of cool. And if you flash forward another 10 years from there, I thought he was pretty cool and I asked him to be a part of our show. And there's some of my favorite memories. So it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic to have you, Jeff, uh, on the show. And I'm glad that you're here. And uh, it's been too long, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing great, Beck. It's uh, good to see you. Yeah, I remember getting the, the VHS tape of the original... Uh, Electric Playground uh, was like 1995, crazy 20 years ago. Yeah. 1995, yeah. And tell me a little bit about uh, what your life was like back then, because you're one of maybe, I don't know, 10 or probably 10 journalists that I know in the video mm-hmm. game space that has been to every E3 and mm-hmm. uh, has, yeah. you know, been covering this business basically for as long as I have. But tell me about your life in 1995, you know, what, what was uh, covering games like for you back then? Yeah, I mean, 1995, I was uh, in high school in Markham, Ontario, just uh, north of Toronto, and was writing reviews for video game magazines as a freelancer. Uh, I was involved a little bit in TV production, uh, an award show for video games in 1994 called Cybermania that, uh, I wrote on, and they were creating some, the company that was creating a, a show called Life on the Digital Edge, which was a TV show that I was sort of involved in, in writing on. But yeah, I was going to school, I was playing games in my free time, and then it was on, you know, services like CompuServe, and like 95 was right when the internet was just sort of starting as well, so it was sort of, you know, on the internet a little bit, uh, on CompuServe, playing games, uh, and yeah, I mean, I was, you know, wasn't really even traveling to that many events or anything. I was a kid in, in high school, and, yeah, I got to go to my first E3 that year in 1995. So it was kind of a big year. Met you, went to my first E3. <laughs> That's amazing, dude. And, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the presence of games and the game companies at those first E3s must have been, uh, it must have been pretty mind-blowing for a kid like yourself and a kid like me. I was a kid then, too, for Christ's sakes. But, you know, yeah. like these huge booths and these huge parties and all that stuff. Were you anticipating that? Were you had you already gone to the CES trade shows before? Or was oh, that- I don't think I had. Uh, E3 was really the first thing, and I remember I was it was in LA, and my father was in town. He drove me up to the convention center, and I kind of walked in, and I, I remember I put on I had like a little suit on. I was like so excited <laughs> to be there. I was a kid, and one of the things with E3 was that. They had a rule that you had to be 18 or older to get into E3. Right. So I had, to, I remember, I had to write a letter to the guy Doug Lowenstein, who ran ESA, sure. uh, that, that put together E3, asking special permission to be able to go into E3 because I was, I think, 15, 16 years old at the time, um, and he granted me permission. So I remember I had on my suit and in my lapel pocket I had this little letter from Doug, and I walked walked up to the front door of E3, and the security guy says, "Hey, can I see your ID?" And I pulled out my letter proudly and said, "Hey, look at this. I'm." Uh, <laughs> I'm official. I can get inside, and yeah, that was it. Was amazing. I mean, you got to go inside, uh, see all these amazing heroes of the gaming industry. The the first E3 was when the first PlayStation was just about to launch in America. So I remember going to that uh, party on the Sony lot in Culver City, and yeah. Michael Jackson showed up, and he was there at the uh, the ice cream parlor, and they shut it down so he could go get his ice cream, and he went to go play Ridge Racer, and it was you know all this stuff that. Uh, was crazy. I mean, that was, I think, in, like, May. I, I think I was, I, I mean, I was still in high school, and it's just crazy to me to sort of have that experience um, as a young kid, and, I mean, the industry was, was just starting out then. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm grateful that I sort of got to grow up with the gaming industry, and, uh, yeah, I always have a special affinity for E3 because, uh, you know, I, that was one of the, really the first big gaming event that I got to go to. Well, obviously, you and I were just talking before we started rolling here, E3 has changed yeah. uh, tremendously over the years. There was that um, kind of uh, slow period while we were all hanging out on the beach singing uh, Kumbaya Santa Monica. and Santa Monica, yeah. which was uh, which was kind of crazy because it didn't feel like, E3 that we had remembered, but it's going through more changes. We just heard about the uh, EA pulling out. Nintendo has had uh, more off-site presence uh, in in the last few years. What's, what are you, what are your thoughts on E3 right now? How how are we uh, looking 
uh, at E3 or for E3 in 2016 and going forward? Well, E3 is such an institution for the industry. Um, you know, I think it's really important. Like I, you know, when I do the the live coverage on YouTube now, uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, the, you know, last year when we streamed E3 on YouTube, it was the biggest live stream of the year on YouTube globally for anything. Right. Um, it's a, it's a special moment where you know the gaming industry gets a lot more mainstream attention. So I think all of us hold on to it very tightly and care about that week um, and what E3 means. And you know, even when you talk to someone who doesn't really play games all the time, even if you mention E3, it's sort of a name or brand that people are like, oh, yeah, I kind of heard of that. Like, I know what that is. Um, so I, th I think E3 as an entity is really important. The challenge is that, you know, the E3, when it first started, when I first went, it was, you know, for press and it was for retailers. And, you know, at that point, retail was, you remember, like your local video game store, right? And yeah. mom and pop retail. Dealers uh, would go check out games, and press was, you know, sort of print press, a little bit of electronic press, um, and that was the the old format of it. I think what's happened, certainly over the past, you know, five to seven years, is that the landscape of retail has changed, the landscape of press has changed. I mean, you and I live through that every day. What is the definition of press? Yep. You know, who is an influencer? Who is a journalist? Uh, so I think you know, E three needs to evolve, and I think that's what we're starting to see this year is another sense of uh, evolution and you you're right you, you remember those two years in Santa Monica where sort of E3 scaled back a little bit and then you know, I think everyone said oh we don't like this we like the big spectacle of E3 yeah. um, and they built it back up again I mean I, I think it's inevitable that I hope E3 will start to uh, you know open itself a little bit more to consumers and uh, you know the fans and I know they let some influencers in last year I think it's just that the ESA that runs E3 is in a very difficult position because they have to make everyone happy. And I know that a little bit you know, from working on Game Awards and working with everyone. It's like everyone has different priori priorities, different schedules, when games are ready. Um, it's, you know, it's not easy. So I think you know, they're, they're trying to adapt as quickly as they can to sort of the shifts in the market. But I think everyone at the top of the game industry, like the, the CEO level, everyone believes in E3 as something really important um, for everyone to put competition aside and, and showcase the best game work out there. So I think it will always be an important beat yeah. for our industry. It's just going gonna, it's, it's to shift a little bit in terms of its uh, perspective. Give me your thoughts on um, games as an industry right now, as an entertainment yeah. medium. I mean, I, I, uh, I know that you're a lifelong gamer like myself, and you'll be playing forever, and you love this industry, and you yeah. love the, uh, the people that make these games and, and the entertainment that they provide us. But I, what are your thoughts right now on uh, the current state of, of games? Well, I mean, games is such a broad category now, right? And I think, you know, when we were growing up, games were, you know, there was, I, I grew up as sort of a PC gamer, playing old adventure games, and then sort of slowly, I think, moved to become more of a console gamer. Um, and now, I mean, games, it's like, you know, it's on your phone, it's on your TV, it's, uh, you know, console, PC. Um, you know, I think the gaming category has never been stronger. I just think the definition of gaming has shifted. And, you know, I look at when people report the sales results for games, you know, they're reporting physical sales and so much is digital, right? I yeah. mean, now pretty much all of the games that uh, I get are all digital, right? Download and I'll, you know, download them in LA or New York or wherever I am um, and play them. So I think, I think gaming is evolving. Um, and I, I mean, I think it's in a good spot. I think the you know, traditional console game industry is shifting around. I think mobile is growing um, in a big way and bringing more people into the mix there. Um, so I think gaming is, I think it's in a good spot. Um, it it, but, you it know. is weird to kind of place it like we placed it even five years ago, though, isn't it? it it's hard to kind yeah. of frame it in, in a way that... Yeah, we, there's so many tentacles to it, yeah, right? And like, yeah. you know, you could say the gaming industry is the hardcore packaged good console business yep. but then you look at you know like league of legends and that's an industry unto itself that's, I totally, um, yeah. completely separate right yep. so i mean there are all these different segments so i think you know when you roll it all up gaming is big but there's tons of shifts i mean you look at a company like epic games has gone from you know being gears of war unreal to doing you know totally changing their business model right yep. now they're all about you know free to play games and exploring new things so companies are sort of trying to adapt um to this new world order, much like you and I are on the media side, sort of trying to adapt to you know how people consume uh, media around games is changing. So I think there's shifts, but I, I don't know. 
of anyone that sort of is, you know, playing less games, right? I think all of us that, you know, when we grew up playing games, you know, we still play them, right? And we may not play them as much as we used to. We don't have as much discretionary time to do it. But I think what's exciting is that the people who, you know, were 18 to 24 back in 1995 are still interested in games, right? I've never lost my passion. You haven't lost your passion for gaming. Um, But, you know, life gets in the way. You get busy. And I think, you know, how you game changes. Um, But I I get excited that I think the overall pie of gamers is growing. And, you know, way more women, I think, are playing games now. I think it's, you know, way more accessible and diverse because you can play games on your phone. And, I mean, there's stuff on your phone now that looks, you know, just as good as, as console titles, yeah. um, which is pretty exciting. So I think, I think overall the industry is in a good spot. It's just constantly evolving. But, I mean, with the rate of technology out there now, it's like it's, it, that's what's exciting about games is they're never stagnant. We've had a pretty big announcement with uh, Oculus already uh, dropping their price at uh, CES. Yeah. What, are you, what are your thoughts right now so far on, uh, on VR um, as it pertains to, to gaming and culture and, and uh you know, consumption and crossover, I guess, into... Uh, I mean. Yeah, I, I am pretty bullish on VR. I, th- I was never big on 3D. I thought that was a fad, and it did go away. Yeah. Um, you remember whenever it was like, oh, you know, PlayStation was all about 3D for your games <laughs> and Call of Duty. And I stuff have like one that. of those That's 3D not... TVs still. The, the, yeah, with the, like the, that. I was never a TV. big believer in that. I think VR, there definitely is something there. I think it, it complements the existing game experience. I don't think it's going to replace it. Mm. Um, and it's also going to take, you know, years to ramp it up. Um, you know, Oculus, Vive, uh, PlayStation VR will all be out this year. I think they'll be expensive. They'll be, you know, first movers that will sort of come in and, uh, and buy it and experience it. It, it is, as, as you know, is a really compelling experience, especially when you get to interact with the game. You know, Oculus with the Xbox controller is an okay experience. I think once you get Oculus Touch, once you get the, the Vive controls or the moves with Morpheus, that starts to become really, really um, interesting. And I think VR will be compelling for short session games. I think it is really powerful and immersive. And, and I'm actually really bullish on the sort of non-game applications for like watching video, sure. um, other sort of interactive dimensions to it. So Virtual concerts I, and things like that. Yeah, I definitely think there is something there, even like Gear VR. Um, I played around with, and that's pretty compelling. That's the you know the mobile phone you just sort of put into the visor. Yeah. Um, so I think it's 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 only going to help grow the gaming business. I don't think you're going to you know the console is dead, and you're just going to play in VR now. Um, I think it'll be a different genre of gaming, and I think it'll be pretty compelling. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like it. I just think it's something that you know is going to be years away. I, I you know Morpheus I think or PlayStation VR I think is going to do well because they have a big install base for PlayStation 4 yep. um to build on. Uh you know Oculus and Vive uh you know it's you got to have a high powered PC um to run that and those things are not going to be cheap but there are you know millions of people that that have PCs that will run that thing. So uh yeah, well, I I I I think VR is going to be fun. You are a um, a broadcaster that understands uh, the importance of framing good stories around these types of things with your, the awards yeah. and with the E3 live shows that you do and the various other events and things that you host and produce. How would you tackle VR and how are you tackling? Is it going to be part of uh, you know the E3 awards and then the uh, the yeah. you know your game awards we'll probably, this year? Yeah, we'll probably have a best VR category because I do think it's sort of a different. Uh, you know, genre of gaming, and mm-hmm. I think there's enough excitement across all the platforms that VR is a, you know, I, I always say with any awards, it's like you need to have five good nominees that aren't just in the category because they're the five games that exist. Right. Um, like Mortal like, Kombat yeah, was the game. best fighting game last yeah, year. Yeah, you gotta like struggle to think <laughs> of the games. People get upset when we get rid of a category. I'm like, well, it's it should be an honor to be nominated. It shouldn't just be sort of de facto you get nominated because you are one of the five games. Right, right. Uh, and I think VR, there's certainly enough stuff this year to, to warrant um, consideration. And, you know, we did that uh, a few years ago with Best Motion Control Game, right? That was a fad where you had, you know, you had sure. the Wiimote, you had the Move, and you had Connect, and that was sort of a you know, phenomenon. And certainly we got rid was of it a fad. Woo! Gone. <laughs> yeah, so that's gone. I, I think VR is, there's definitely something sustainable there how big it is i think is sort of you know it's up for debate and will grow over time and it should right i I, the worst thing that can happen is that uh you know there's this huge hype around vr and then it comes out no one buys it and everyone's like oh that that market's dead they needs to sort of slowly grow yeah and i'm pretty excited that you know this year 
these headsets are going to be out. I mean, Oculus is going to be out, you know, just like six weeks, eight, eight weeks from now, which is, is pretty cool. Yeah. I, Battlefront came out last year, um, and I loved it. I thought uh, EA and DICE did a great job with it. And I know it's expensive, and I know that it's not as robust content-wise as Battlefront 1 or 2 were from Pandemic. Uh, but I thought it, they did a phenomenal job, and I can't wait for the uh, the DLC with it. But as it was coming, uh, I really wanted to revisit, and I talked to you about it, our uh, Star Wars Battlefront segments that you hosted uh, for EP for <laughs> 1 and 2, and I wanted to do 3. And, of course, all kinds of crazy stuff was going on with us because that's right around the time that I, I found out that we, uh, you know, we, we weren't going to be going forward with Rogers, and I had to kind of make some changes. Yeah, and all of that stuff was going, but also the marketing for Battlefront started to hit, and they were doing shit that was so incredible that I just couldn't figure out how would we do anything on the show that would look anywhere near as cool as the guy jumping out of the window and on, onto the X-Wing. Oh, yeah, onto the X-Wing. Yeah, it was so rad. Uh, but I want to talk to you about those days because, you know, you, you signed up for EP. Did you know what you were getting into? I guess you had seen the wacky. I'd seen it, yeah. I yeah. mean, that was, uh, I mean it, was, it was fun because, I mean, I'd watched the show for many years and growing up in Canada, you know, you are a national treasure up there for uh -huh. gamers. That's, like, you know, what you were able to build uh, and, you know, put games on the map. And, I mean, growing up in Canada, like, I was, part of the reason I fell in love with games is that it was such a great community around games up there. Yep. And, you know, my local... A plus software I would go to to go buy PC games and it was just it was, it was just fun um, back then. So yeah, no, I definitely knew the show and I was I was excited when you can ask me to you know get involved do something. And that first shoot was you know such an epic shoot uh, you know out in the, the you know the forests uh, of San Francisco. Was that your first that. one? Was that your? first? I think so. Yeah. Oh my god, that that's crazy. Yeah, I think it was. I think that's where we sort of started with uh, <laughs> you know, that big sequence and it was yeah, it was fantastic and. Uh, yeah, you know, and you, what you guys were doing and Tavis, and I mean, you know, the, the effects and stuff, uh, you know, were being done in, you know, that was probably 2000, 2001. And, yeah. you know, before the, the Freddie Wongs and the Corridor Digitals and all these guys on YouTube, I mean, you guys were doing, uh, you know, incredible work that, uh, you know, the guys at, uh, you know, LucasArts and Lucasfilm would be blown away at what you were doing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that's ILM. So, uh, yeah, that was, no, it was tons of fun to get involved with that. And I had always been a fan of the show and, uh, you know, loved, uh, what you and Tommy had uh, put together with that program, so it was an honor to uh, to get involved. And you know that was before G4. That was you know before really any other uh, video game television out there. And I was you know pretty much a you know a print written journalism guy. Like I wrote long form journalism for Gamespot. I wrote you know for Entertainment Weekly, other places like that. But yep. I hadn't really done a lot of video. Yep. And you know I, I credit. Joining EP and working with you is really the start of this sort of video revolution for me and sort of geared me up for, you know, what was then G4 when, you know, EP was on G4. That led to sort of, you know, YouTube 2005, the stuff I was doing with Spike. So in many ways, you know, the sort of transitioning to the multimedia side of the world was really, I think, important for me because, uh, you know, who knew if I was going to be good at it or not, but it was just something that naturally happened and I think helped prep me for, you know, this video revolution where, you know, nobody really wants to read anymore now. They, they want to see video. Well, I, I mean, I saw it back in the, the early 90s that it was time to put these things on television and to yeah. find out who these people were and let them speak for them. Uh, Jeff, I think your mic might be rubbing on your shirt. There's uh, some clicks and things like oh, that. Sure. So, so let's cool. see, if, see if you can pull that away. Is that better? Yeah. Probably yeah. better. Hopefully that's better. Cool. Uh, I, I had good luck with writers. I, you know, when I've when I've hired writers for the show, I found that um, they've been really uh, open to, you know, changes and uh, getting sort of directed, but then also coming up with their own vocabulary and their own vernacular and being able to just sort of roll with any kind of conversation. And I, I saw it in you, man. I knew you were going to be great in front of the camera. And I got to tell so. you, when I think about my uh, favorite moments on the show, my own personal favorite moments in the show. It's th those two segments always come right to the top because to kind of work and conceive of some of the ideas that are going to end up going through so many different people's hands and then seeing the end result is unbelievably gratifying. And, uh, you know, you were patient and you were open to... Uh, uh, you know, whatever kind of crazy stuff we threw at you and you were playful and you were, you know, and I knew that you would come from a pretty serious uh, sort of academic kind of look at games in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of respect around your work and your writing. And uh, 
I was just really grateful that you were willing to throw yourself into it and trust us and, and do all oh, kinds yeah, of man, stuff. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. And it's like, you, you know, you always treated games with respect, but you were willing to sort of have fun with it, right? And I think yeah. that's the thing that I was always trying to balance and still to this day try and balance kind of the, the fun and wackiness, uh, but with, you know, the fact that gamers are really passionate about our hobby and, you know, you don't want to talk down to them. You want to celebrate uh, um, our love of games. I mean, what you were doing with EP and Judgment Day and Reviews on the Run and all that stuff, I mean, that was, uh, you know, those are institutions. And when I, you know, first started even, you know, working with G4, it's like, you know, you were really the, you know, those were the shows that G4 looked at as saying, hey, I think this stuff actually could work on television. Yeah. Um, and, you know, birthed the whole network out of that. So, uh, yeah, you were, you were ahead of the curve and, uh, you know, the, the state of video game TV is, uh, you know, it's shifted, right? And now it's moved to online digital platforms. And I worked in, you know, traditional television for, you know, over a decade. And it was a ton of fun. But, uh, you know, now TV is is so different. And, uh, you know, we, we watch things on our TV, but we, you know, we watch House of Cards via Netflix. And it's yeah. like it's not through traditional cable. And that's what I think has been fascinating is now, you know, the, the quality of the streams is indiscernible. In some ways, it's even usually better than your cable signal. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I was, you know, first on, you know, CompuServe or on the internet and you were watching, you know, movie trailers and it was like, oh, do I, you know, the 320 by, you know, 180, <laughs> you know, pixel, you know, trailer, you try and blow up on QuickTime to watch. And Dude, now we, it's like... we had uh, postage stamp videos from our E3 trip yeah. in 95 on our website, on electplay.com back then. And people would have to wait as these things would download, you know, it was crazy. And it, yeah, it really has come so, so far. But what do you think, you know, you, you've done a lot of television as have I, and I kind of just shake my head at what's going on with a lot of broadcasters right now. I feel like they're throwing in the towel more than sort of meeting sort of the tastes of, of people in a lot of ways. There's a lot of great cable television in terms of scripted stuff and, and uh, yeah. some interesting choices there that are kind of uh, binged and consumed. But in terms of information, other than sort of stodgy news, which I think is also getting hammered right now, they're just not yeah. really rolling with this, uh, you know, interactive, all-you-can-eat kind of uh, video universe that we're in right now, are they? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's challenging, right? I mean, the, you know, the nature of, of certainly unscripted stuff or news, you know, variety-style shows on TV, it's like it's tough, and that's not just, you know, gaming right it's so you look at like the entertainment news landscape with like you know entertainment tonight or access mm -hmm. hollywood i mean you can get that all on social media and you know on snapchat and twitter and i just think that you know the news comes instantly now you don't have to sort of wait uh any period of time to, to see it and that's why i've always been a big believer in doing live things um because yeah i mean you know convincing people to tune into television now it just it, it feels antiquated because everything is so instant um, online, so yeah, I, th I mean, I think TV networks are are struggling, right? Um, especially with this audience, because you know we program to young guys who are some of the most hyper connected folks out there, right? Yeah. It's like you know, gamers have Twitch on their television, they have you know the latest phones, they have you know IPTV, they have OTT networks. Um, so you know, try and get them to kind of roll back onto television is really difficult. Um, but you know, the the appeal to me always of television was that we could reach a wider audience, right? Yeah. Like when I, when, I, when I graduated college and sort of decided between going off to law school or doing more gaming stuff, the thing I said to myself was, if I'm going to pursue this gaming thing, you know, I want to actively kind of work to evangelize this industry to a wider audience. That's when I started writing for like Entertainment Weekly or Time Magazine. It was sort of trying to get games, you know, in new places and, and speak to a wider audience yep. than just the core. Yep. Same thing with television, right? One of the appeals when I decided to sort of leave G4 and move on to Spike, the appeal was that, hey, we're going to go to a bigger audience base um, to sort of potentially uh, reach that crowd. So I'm still in that mode. I just think now the way to reach a wider audience is like YouTube, right? I mean, that's, you know, it's massive, the size of that audience. That is the mainstream. Um, and that, to me, is like the biggest cable network in the world, right? And it's truly global. Like, that's what's exciting to me is to be there. Yeah. And, you know, being on like a domestic you know, cable television network, I think there there certainly are people that watch that way. I just think they tend to, you know, demographically tend to be an older audience that is not as connected. And, Families. you know, I got to tell you, when we do something like the Game Awards, I look on Instagram and there are tons of photos of people watching that show on their 75-inch TV. Yeah. But 
if they're watching it through, you know, Apple TV or they're watching it on PlayStation or other platforms. So, um, you know, the nature of television is just changing. And in some ways, I'm glad that the stuff I do now is not beholden to the old model. Right. Um, Or, you know, you have to authenticate your cable or I have to geoblock the show. It can't air internationally. Or, you know, even the show is, you know, there are lots of shows now that are like three hours later on the West Coast because they have to, you know, tape delay stuff yeah and i'm like in the world of social media like i have no idea why things are still tape delayed but it's just it's the way the system was built um so yeah i think the tv networks are struggling and i have lots of friends that still work in that um you know there i still do work with spike and other networks um and you know i'm happy to sort of work with them because i do think there is an audience that uh you know that watches TV that doesn't do uh, all the digital well, stuff. Well, it's amazing. Uh, I mean, we've we've been on YouTube with the show for or with content for the last month now, and we get yeah. a lot of feedback, and a lot of people are asking actively, "When are you guys going to be back on TV? When are you going to be back?" On TV? Obviously, they want more content. I think that's what TV kind of allowed for our show in particular. But I think there is still yeah. a crowd that. Um, what what happened with us because we weren't just on cable we were on city which is kind of a low on the dial television station is we had a lot of families yeah. uh join in and watch together and that really became uh an eye opener for me and we had a lot of women in our um in our ratings breakdown as well we had a lot of uh, a lot of females watching oh, cool. the show and uh that was that that's what I loved about being on television is that we were doing that. We were hitting an audience that right. doesn't actively search out this stuff that isn't, you know. Oh, and that's what's cool. It's like when I even I was in Canada, like, you know, you said EP was very well distributed on sort of basic networks. So it's yep. like my friends or family members. And then there's a validation there. Right. And even the developers in Canada, it's like, oh, you know, my cousin saw me on this video game TV show about, you know, me working on. Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, and that was like, you know, people were like, oh, that's cool that this guy worked yeah. there, and it's, you know, it helps elevate the medium, right? And I'm all about, like, how can we elevate the medium, get more people to kind of understand and respect what this is? So the work that you did in Canada uh, and, you know, in the States uh, is, you know, it, it's, it's really important as this industry continues to grow. And look, I mean, there are very few game designers that are household names, right? I mean, probably, you know, Miyamoto or Kojima are probably the most kind of well-known people. And, you know, still, they're not sort of publicly that well-known. And I think, you know, guys like you and I, part of our, I think our mission is to sort of help, you know, these creators uh, get the the respect that they're due. And, you know, a lot of my work is around that, right? It's yeah. like I, a long time ago, I decided that, you know, I'm not interested in making games, right? And people always, I think, think, you know, guys like you and I, it's like, are we using this as a pathway to eventually, you know, make this secret game that I've been, you know, designing or something? And I've never really been interested in that. I've always felt that the role that people like you and I can fulfill is really important is that evangelizing this and helping people share their stories and, Mm -hmm. you know, share our love of all games. And that's like I would never work at a game company because I'd, Honestly, it's selfishly. I would. I wouldn't want to leave behind everyone else that I know and uh, all the other great things I get to do. So it's. Uh, yeah, it's. It's been fun, and you know, I, I think you've done an amazing job. Uh, you know, uh, mainstreaming games. Um, you know, around the world, really. Yeah, I mean, thank you very much, um, and you too, my friend. But I, I feel like uh, a lot more work still has to be done, and I feel <laughs> like um, one of the things that's starting to happen with uh, this preponderance the sort of reliance on on uh, twitch and YouTube for all of the the sort of viewership kind of statistics around this stuff is that we are excluding vast chunks of people that you know a have very busy lives to the point where they have to scratch time out to be able to play the games but then to couple that with uh, having any time left to find out about games is mm-hmm. really difficult and I don't you know I know that if you're curious you google some stuff up and and you can dive down into a trailer or, or a let's play or a walkthrough or something like that but I feel like discussion around this stuff with people that make games is still really valuable and I don't want that to, yeah. to disappear as we get, you know, more and more people just doing walkthroughs and let's plays and Twitch streaming and hamming it up in front of the camera, that stuff's all entertaining. But I, I feel like we're kind of losing the, the voices of the developers and the the inside kind of access to the to the game development uh, community. 
No, and, that, and that's happening across all media, right? I think, yeah. you know, the idea of, you know, I love great journalism and exploring stories and sort of, you know, telling people what's cool, help discover, you know, a new game. I mean, I think some of the, the most memorable moments to me, and I'm sure to you, are when, you know, you find a game that you're excited about and you share it with people and it becomes, you know, be, goes on to become a success and that developer comes back to you and says, hey, you know, thank you for believing us in us and our game and, you know, getting it out there. Um, and that's the stuff that I think is, you know, one of the most important roles we can play is sort totally. of, uh, you know, letting developers know what they're doing is cool and sharing it with an audience who then responds to it. And, and, you know, part of the reason why I think you and I know so many people and have worked with so many people for so long is that they, you know, they understand that, uh, you know, we've been there since the beginning um, when they were just starting out, right? And yeah. it's, you know, the Todd Howards of the world, you know, were nobody's 20 years ago. And it's sort of like us. And, you know, we've all grown up together. Um, and everyone's worked really hard. Um, but I hope that, you know, that role continues to exist. And, and in this day and age, you're right. There's lots of publishers that will say, hey, we can just talk directly to our fans. We don't need to, you know, involve anyone else. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, uh, we can just do, you know, a bunch of Let's Play videos on YouTube, and that's fine. And I think, you know, honestly, the the there will be a balance. And there's always sort of this, you know, with anything new, there's this huge gold rush, and everyone's excited about it. And then it sort of self-corrects a little bit back to sort of, you know, yeah. what it probably should be. So it's uh, the thing that I'm always... Um, you know, the thing that I'm always thinking about and I always have to remind myself is that we've been doing this for a very long time yeah. and uh, you know, what's happening this month or even for you what's happening with EP now, I think it's, you know, it's just it's a, it's just a point in time and, uh, yeah, you know, gonna... you have 20 years of history behind you and there'll be 20 <laughs> years of great stuff ahead and it's like who knows where it's all going to land. Totally. Up. And 20 years of history was not, it was not all... Uh, roses you know it was not all perfect there were there were lots of moments where we had no idea oh, same with me yeah i mean i was you know with uh yeah with you know what happened with g4 and then you know with the uncertainty around even spike and the things i was doing there it's like you know the video game tv and you and i both know this i mean you know we're not making the voice or we're not making yeah. you know uh some you know highest rated show on television i mean this is it's still for a niche audience and there are lots of people around who um don't really understand, uh, you know, what this is. And, uh, you know, you and I have been, I think, a pure play. And, you know, I'm all about games. And when I was doing TV, it wasn't about that's a jumping point for me to go do my scripted series that I want to make. It's yeah. like I've been, you know, from the get-go, it's like I'm going to hitch my wagon to games, and that's what I love, and yeah. it's been fun to be around it. Um, yeah, but, I'm, yeah, it's, it's definitely... I, I've learned a lot about being a television producer doing this work, but it's not because I want to go off and produce other TV shows. And in yeah. fact, I keep, you know, I'd like to make other shows and see other things get developed and stuff. And I have done some other things out there, but I can't really, as a TV producer, come up with a, a better pitch or something I'm more passionate about than Electric Playground, than the core idea that I had in, you know, 21 years ago. I just, I feel like this constant conversation needs to keep happening. And it, it actually has been, uh, you know, and I, cr I thank everybody that's been watching our vids and the comments and stuff, but uh, I put up that division thing a, a couple of weeks ago and it was kind of a, um, uh, a, a, you know, a different thing for us because we're used to our three-minute package pieces that end up in the show and maybe we revisit the games over the course of a season. But we let an 18-minute video about one game and a couple of conversations just float and people seem to respond to it really well. And that was really... And you've done that kind of thing, though. You've been doing that kind of thing with your uh, uh, the last twenty four hours or the last forty eight hours. What yeah, final hours. Final yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me yeah, about how that started, man. I mean, those really, you know, I started uh, in ninety seven. Was the first final hours, wow. which was the making of uh, the first Half Life at mm -hmm. Val. I wrote that for Gamespot, and that was, I think, I was a freshman in college when I wrote that, and it was. Uh, yeah, going up to Valve and, you know, being there right when they were just starting the first Half-Life, which is just insane to me um, to think of, you know, what Steam and Valve and Gabe have become. But yeah. it was, uh, you know, it, it was driven out of a, a passion for these creators and the creative process. And, like, when I would, you know, went down to id Software in, like, 1993 when they had just shipped Doom and, like, to hang out with those guys. I'm like, these guys are so cool and there's no way to learn about them and I'm so inspired by them. Yeah. Uh, you know, we would meet, you know, uh, John Carmack or Will Wright um, or Gabe Newell. It's like I was just compelled to sort of tell their stories and, uh, you know, explain how these games work, in part because I naturally was interested, right? Yep. I mean, those things weren't 
driven out of anything but a desire to tell their stories and uh, because I wanted to learn about them. And yeah, it's been fun. I mean, it's, it's literally been 18 years of writing those uh, behind-the-scenes stories. And I only really do them when I, there's a story that I think is compelling enough to tell. Um, I mean, they're, they massively uh, uh, interrupt my life when I do those things because they're, you know, 30,000 words and now they're iPad apps and all that. So yeah. I really have to and you live with the developers, man, because those final hours, that, they're there for... <laughs> They don't go yeah. home. <laughs> well, and now the funny thing is, you know, final hours is it's a little bit different because now they've like, you know, they've got the day one patch and they've got DLC and right. it sort of is this. There are no story. final hours anymore. It's endless hours for <laughs> these games. So yeah, I uh, I enjoy it though, and it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of fun to do those, and uh, you know, it's it's about also creating, uh, you know, sort of docu documents of are documenting the creative process behind some of these sure, games. And sure. one of the things that I think is is missing from this industry is that historical archival aspect of it. And I think, you know, you've done a great job with EP in all these twenty years and I look at, you know, everything on YouTube and everything online, it's you know, I'd love to see a great documentary about the making of the first Doom or the I making know. of that game. And a lot of that's been lost. And I hope that those books, I mean, when you look back over the past 20 years, I'm really proud that, you know, we documented the making of the first Half-Life. Um, you know, I documented the making of the second Half-Life and Portal and, you know, a bunch of these other games. Um, and you've done a great job, I think, too, sort of, you know, having that history of this industry, which I, I worry is, is lost a little bit. And yeah, that's could, what you know, I get excited about. Yeah, because there is a lot of... Um... And I'm, I don't want to sound like a like an old fart that's just making uh, that's like pissed off that these kids are all in front of their webcams and and twitching and streaming and stuff. I'm not. I think that's great. I think that it's awesome that people are building businesses and and they're growing their personalities out of that. But it's exactly what you speak of that uh, uh, you know honoring the the creativity that's a part of this business is a little more than that. And I and and that's yeah. been I think a creative win for you and a creative win for me in our careers, but you have done a pretty good job I think. It also uh, this is actually two questions because you and I both have been around the business long enough that we reference company uh, companies and people like Gabe Newell or Will Will Wright or or uh, Todd or you know. But who is emerging now that people should know about? You know, who, who are the new, uh, you know, Gabes and Todds and, and Wills? Well, I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in the indie space. Uh, you know, a lot of those guys are doing fascinating things. Like I've, I'm playing The Witness from Jonathan Blow, and mm -hmm. he did Braid, he did this. I mean, he's a, a, you know, a brilliant guy. Yeah, he's he pretty is. quiet, but just as often does uh, great work. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about, you know, a lot of those young um, upstart developers that are doing interesting um, things. I mean, you know, some of the MOBA guys like, you know, uh, Brandon and Mark over at Riot. I mean, they've built an incredible business around that game. I don't think they get nearly enough credit for um, what they've done there. So that they're always going to be new designers. Um, and, you know, one of the things to think about is, you know, who are the designers that have been able to, uh, you know, successfully transition between generations of consoles and still be relevant, right? Yeah. Um, there are lots of guys has. now. Yeah, right. Kojima is one of the few, I think, that has really done a great job of sort of continually reinventing himself. But mm -hmm. look, I mean, there are lots of designers that you and I knew 15, 20 years ago who are, you know, forgotten to history. Yeah. Um, because they either, you know, just didn't make it or didn't make a name for themselves. Well, he, he, um, here's what I'm concerned with, especially with EP not on the air right now, right? It, mm. And and the amount of hours that we could do. But there's also no G4. There's, uh, you know, you're not making a daily or a weekly show right now. You're focused on the events. Nope. Uh, yeah. There is no... Let's go visit. Let's go find out. Let's go talk to these people. Let's go get. Let's get them in front of the camera. Let's let's discover who these guys. Let's see them at work. Let's figure all that stuff out, and I, and that's that sucks. You know, like I, I feel like that should be continually happening, and I feel like uh, the business itself, the industry itself, seems to be so focused on just making the games the stars that they're forgetting that people make the games and that people are have a lot of currency as well, you know? And I feel like yeah. 
there was a little bit more of that uh, when we were starting out because we were all in this together and the PR mm -hmm. uh, people that we would work with and the marketing people that we would work with and the, the studio heads and stuff like that would be very accommodating and very much into letting us run around their halls with lightsabers for an example. But, yeah. uh, you know, like they were into it with us and I feel not that it's uh, there's an opposition happening right now, but there isn't that same sort of welcoming let's let's really put these people in front of the camera. Let's open the studios to these guys. Let's make sure that this constant conversation is starting to happen, other than their own efforts with their own Twitch streams yeah. and their own, their own Facebook posts and things like that. Well, look, I think, there's, I think there is something to what you're saying. And I, look, I think it's, it's also part of it is just the industry kind of maturing and uh, you know, clamping down a little bit, yeah. um, which I think is natural. But it's also, I mean, I think there's a sensitivity out there that you know the sort of the social zeitgeist right now is at a point where you have to be sort of careful and protect kind of like what you say and who you trust and right and how you get to look what happened to Adam Worth. In that world. yeah well it's just, I mean it's just like I think yeah there's that but it's also just the general sense of uh concern I think um so I don't know I yeah I agree with you I think it's people are just naturally skeptical and, and look guys like you and I we know lots of people we can you know we can make those things happen mm -hmm. um, but yeah I think publishers are you know it's more about sort of controlling the message and less about letting other people um, you know in to, to do it I mean one publisher said to me famously it's like I'm tired of you know giving you know someone else a bat to beat us with and right. it's sort of like you know it's like you give the access to people and you get involved and then people end up you know writing unflattering things and as a you know from a journalism perspective that's sort of the the, in, the inherent contract you have with someone is like we don't know what we're going to write whether it's positive or negative but we're going to come in and do a story but now in the day and age of you know social media and direct access to fans some of the publishers say hey that's a risk we're not willing to take right um and we don't want that coverage because you know the the reach of outlet x or y is nothing compared to our Facebook fan page that has 15 million fans. And if we can just get those 15 million people to buy this game, we're in good shape. Uh, you know, I think some publishers and other folks look at the larger opportunity of saying, hey, we need to evangelize what we're doing to a wider audience. We like to cross-pollinate fans of one game into another game. And that's what, you know, a show like yours is able to do. It's like sort of celebrating games overall. But... Mm -hmm. I understand the, the you know it's a rational decision that people are making around how they approach sure. uh, everybody's media. A, yeah, everybody's got a, a you know an ability to create their own media. I mean, it's interesting that one of the uh, the South by Southwest awards is about most entertaining online personality in right. games, and and Tim Schafer is one of those guys. You know, and he's a developer, but he's he's up against uh, Angry Joe and Greg Miller and. Uh, it's just, it, it is, it's a fascinating world. We are all media creators at this point, not just in, in a specific media, but we all, with our social sort of uh, posts and our videos and everything like that, we are all creating all the time. But you have also been a, a, a talent shepherd unto your, uh, on your own here, working on uh, your YouTube specials and things like that. You've started to corral yeah. a lot of... Uh, YouTubers and, and uh, personalities that way. Who have you enjoyed working with? And you don't have to diss anybody or anything like that, but who have you enjoyed working well, with? Well, they're all, uh, well, actually, I mean, there's no one we haven't enjoyed working with. I think they're all, you know, that, that's the next generation, right? I think, yeah. you know, when I was growing up, uh, you know, I started to get into like online journalism, writing, and, and that's what was the market, right? If I was 16, 17 years old now, you know, I would start a YouTube channel and, and start covering games in that way. So, you know, those kids I don't think aspire to be IGN writers. No. They aspire to have their own channels on YouTube and social media and, and, and build them. So, yeah, they, they've all been, they're great. And I mean, I think a lot of them are, it's interesting because some of them are entertainers, right? Yeah. And, and they, tr they think they're entertainers and that's what they do versus being, you know, traditional sort of journalists. Yeah. Um, and that's just a, you know, it's a natural shift that has happened uh, in the media landscape from sort of, you know, journalism to influencers. And, you know, some of them get paid by game companies, some of them don't. And it's like, it's sort of murky about how that all um, plays out. And it's, it's the Wild West right now. Um, so I don't fault any of them for sort of exploring all these different things um, and ways to kind of be a part of the industry. But yeah, all of them have been, I mean, great to work with. Um, you know, I've done a lot of stuff over the years with like, even like, you know, 
on YouTube. I'm trying to think of folks we've had. I mean, from the Felicia Days to the to the Matt Pats and the Game Theorist, uh, Boogie Two Nine Eight Eight. I mean, we've, we've you know even Angry Joe, who I famously had a dust up with one year at yeah. uh, Video Game Awards. I mean, he's a personality, and I, I respect every. I mean, everyone out there, I think, is it comes from a natural place of really loving games. Yep. And I don't think anyone's doing necessarily anything exploitive. I think it's just it's a different way of, of having passion around games. I mean, even look at like the PewDiePie's and the Markiplier's and Jacksepticeye and all these guys on YouTube. I mean, they're, they celebrate games. I mean, they're off making their own animated series. I mean, in many ways they have their own, you know, kind of uh, their own adult swim networks that they're building um, for their fan bases and they're game fans, but they're also much broader than that. So yeah, yeah. all of them have been really good to work with and it's eye opening to sort of, you know, connect with, another generation and it's like you know i i'm no longer the 16 year old kid covering games yeah. but i'm really interested in how people are consuming media who they're connecting with and and that's that's exciting to me so to dive into the world of youtube it's been an honor to work with them and i think some of them respect the sort of relationships and the history i have with some game creators and i respect you know how they connect to their audience so it's been it's been a really nice kind of marriage between um sort of you know coming at it from both angles and are you now taking some of that, you know, learning and some of that education that you're getting from these YouTubers and also working directly with YouTube and then parlaying that back into relationships that you have with traditional broadcasters, too? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, the traditional broadcast stuff is so up in the air right now um, about <laughs> what they're doing. I mean, I think even for me, it's like, you know, the being a host or personality, it's like now everyone's like, you know. How many social? How many Twitter followers do you have? How big is your Facebook? It's like how many Instagram fans? I mean, that's even sometimes more important than the quality of uh, yeah. you know some skills at kind of presenting or hosting. So it's just the the world is shifting in that way. So yeah, those guys are they're all interested in that. But I also don't know you know those young guys how much how appealing it is to be on TV. Yeah, I mean for you and I that was you know for you that was the holy grail right like mm -hmm. be on television. That was and my that dream. Was cool. but, yeah. And even for me, it's like when I was up in Canada and family members would see you on television, it's like you had made it, right? That was, you know, even for my parents, it's like having a television show, it's like that is a, uh, it's a big deal now. Anyone can have a YouTube channel. Yeah. So it's, but it's like, what is the thing that really matters? So, you know, there's, there's validation for our industry to be on television. Even when we do E3 on Spike, it's like that's, you know, it's important, I think, to have it out there to reach a wider audience. Um, but I don't know, uh, 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 when I talk to a lot of the influencers, they they don't tell me about how, you know, we got to go sell a show to television and I've always wanted to be on TV. I think they're really happy connecting with their fans on YouTube and social media. And, you know, the the money is starting to work that they don't even need to think about going anywhere else because they end up doing pretty well yeah. just through you know, digital media. Well, I got to tell you, the um, the throughput, and you know this, to like getting things done through these social yeah. media outlets and, and these uh, these social video outlets is incredible and it's addictive there's an allure there right it's like wow we conceived it we we put it together and there it is and everybody can watch it and they can tell us whether or not they like it right away it's uh it's amazing you know because it is a push pull that you just don't get when you're making television you know we would uh right. we would kind of even with the daily stream and our, and our connections with Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff, we just would put it out there and then kind of roll on to the next day and kind of go back into the cocoon of, of building it and sending it out. But it doesn't work that way with YouTube and, and Twitch. Yeah. You know, no, it isn't. That's why like, I love the, you know, these live shows when I do the awards or I do E3 or other you know, live events. It's great because I mean, you're getting the real-time feedback. You're seeing what people are you know, saying on Twitter about yeah. it and you can react time and that's what's fun about it as you said versus tv shows where hey we just finished it ship it off to the network it's going to air you know that day or the next week or whatever so it's uh that's just you know where it's all going and for this audience that is so connected uh and so digital it, it makes natural sense because there's you know the the quality of what you can put on television or on television through digital means is great and you know i mean you know I like the, you know, what we do at E3, what we do at the awards and the stuff you do. I mean, it, it feels television quality. And that's yeah. the thing that I think has always been important to us is to do stuff at high quality. And, you know, when I do E3, it's not me against a green screen, you know, talking about E3. It's like we treat it like the Super Bowl because that's what matters to us. Same thing with Game Awards. It's like we way overinvest in yeah. building you know, created by, you know, the guys that, that work on shows like the Oscars and the Super Bowl because, you know, I believe that gaming 
deserves that amount of you know respect on their big night of the year. It's got to feel like the Oscars because these guys are just as artistic and, and talented as, as the top filmmakers. And so it, is, it isn't even about the stuff. money, right? It's not even about the money that no. games make. Yeah. It's that the medium itself is this creative and this uh, yeah. packed with, you know, just spectacle that we should celebrate it in that same sort of capacity. I fully, uh, I, I back you 100% on all that. And all I think the game creators, you know, and publishers agree with us on that. And that's why, you know, they're backing us. They're huge supporters and believers in what we've sort of built. So, yeah, the, it, it's worked out really well. And, I, I, you know, even though there are bumps along the road and things are shifting, um, you know, I, 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 think, I think the industry is in a really good position right now. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, six months from now, it could be different. <laughs> and, you know, you know, what's going to happen with VR? Where's that going to go? Well, let's talk uh, about some of the 2016 stuff that you're excited yeah. about and some of the uh, you know predictions maybe for E3. But uh, the first thing I want to do, and I, we're also we, we're going to lose you soon, so I want to get a few questions in at least from the people. But uh, of course, yeah. um, Peter Molyneux is a mutual friend, I think, of both of us. And yeah. he's been going through a lot of stuff recently. I, you yeah. know, what are your thoughts on, uh, on, on Peter and, and 22 Cans and and uh, Goddess and all of the stuff that's been going on with him. Yeah, I mean, I haven't talked to Peter in a while, but uh, yeah, you know, I think he's one of those guys that is trying to adapt to, uh, you know, this new world order. Um, you know, he is such a, he's a magician with his words and how he sort of sells you an idea and a concept. And, yep. you know, think people like him and Will Wright, you know, you would sit next to them or I'd interview them and I'd be like, I'm sitting next to, you know, geniuses yeah. and it's like you know the best people in the world like will right you sit next to him like i uh, this must be like when you're sitting next to like albert einstein or something like totally. just, you know picking his brain the way he thinks about things carmack's um, like that too exactly those yeah. guys are brilliant and i'm yeah. honored that i get to sort of know them and, and spend time with them they make me smarter uh and yeah peter i don't know i mean goddess i think just sort of went off the rails a little bit and before that there was the uh the cube or whatever yeah you got that thing, the, the thing where you were tapping or whatever, and you know the the biggest prize in the world with the seven. Um, there was the drama around that with the kid that won it that didn't make any money, and he might have. Uh, I think Peter is one of those guys where his ideas just get ahead of himself, and it just sort of catches up with him a little bit. And I love him. I just think you know he's one of those people where you just sort of you you have to treat him a little bit as an entertainer too. Yeah. Um, this is uh, someone that you you know you take full stock in everything he says. It's like he's, you know, brilliant at sort of selling you, you know, he, he, he would sell snow to the Eskimos, right? I mean, he's just, he's brilliant at uh, convincing you of things. So yeah, I, I feel for him. I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, it feels like things have died down a little bit um, for him. And I, I mean, I just hope he keeps making games, right? And the yeah. last thing I want to see is people like that just sort of give up or retire. And I mean, he has the—I'm sure—the financial resources that if he wanted yeah. to never make a game again. Yeah, and certainly could. not in a in a uh, in a negative way. Like if he makes the decision that that that's good, I've done. But I just don't want to see him uh, go out in flames, you know, just like in, yeah, in anger. Exactly. And I know? think I think there'll be more sort of from him. Um, in the future, but yeah, he's a he's a great guy and a, a good friend. And uh, you know, I I I I was I gave him money for uh, Goddess Two on Kickstarter, and you know, I don't feel great about it. But it's uh, you know, you uh, that's the sort of the the inherent contract you have when you you back something on a Kickstarter platform. Yep. Is that you sort of have to, it. It's like gambling; you sort of have to be prepared to lose everything. I think, but yep. you want to believe in someone and bet on them. And there've been other Kickstarters that I've paid for that have paid off. So yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, the thing that you're most excited about for 2016? Hmm. Um, good question. What I could talk about that's announced. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm excited about VR. I think that's really going to be interesting. I think that's something that's going to be a little more mainstream. I think it's going to be the kind of thing like, you remember you used to have a game console, you'd get it, and people come over to your house and be like, wait, like those graphics look incredible. Sure, like, sure. let me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. you don't see that anymore, but it's like, oh, wow, that's Star Wars, uh, like Rebel Soul. How do they do that? That's incredible. And like, hey, check this out with, you know, the old CD-ROM games or technology. I think VR is going to have that element where it's like when you have one there, you know, someone in your family is like, oh, you got one of those VR things. Let me try it on. Let me experience it. So I'm excited about the sort of water cooler conversation that will come around VR this year because mm -hmm. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to make gaming exciting. It's not going to be the thing that kind of is on your shelf now. I mean, if you have, if you have a PS4 and Xbox, no one's going to be dazzled by it because it's like 
games look great now. But I think VR is going to be that thing that is going to be a conversation starter. Cool. Okay. Blake, do we have some questions that uh, people have got for, for Mr. Keeley? Uh, yeah, we've got a couple. Okay. Um, Asia yeah. Pam wants to know, um, after Jeff sort of called out Konami at the Game Awards about the Kojima thing, yeah. uh, he wants to know if there was any negative fallout as a result of that. Did you uh, make any haters at uh, Konami, my friend? I, I probably did. They didn't contact me about <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I think that was a difficult situation with uh, Hideo Kojima sort of being caught in between, um, you know, his, his Konami deal ending and then working on sort of what he was going to do next. Um, so it was heartbreaking that he wasn't at the show. Uh, yeah, I thought uh, I thought it was really important to mention something about why he wasn't there, and I'm sure there were folks at Konami that were not happy about it, but. Uh, you know, I haven't. Uh, if I go back to Japan anytime soon, I guess they may uh, they may make make their presence known. Um, but yeah, I have not heard from anyone. Oh, jeez, that sounds ominous. <laughs> what else you yeah. got, Blake? Okay, uh, Eddie MC18 wants to know if you guys have any thoughts on Nintendo's NX. What do you think about the NX, Jeff? I don't really know much about it. Mm. Um, you know, there've been rumors and patents filed and things like that. It, it'll be interesting to see. You know, what Nintendo's play is and sort of how they're going to fit into the market. I think a lot of people were surprised when Nintendo said they were going to have another home console. Yeah. Um, it was you know, something that Mr. Iwata said before he passed away that was you know, very important that they, they kept the, the home console going even though they were doing things in the mobile space. So I remember you know, the Wii U, that was, you know, came a year early and they, a big bet for that was to get all the third parties on board, you know, move their Xbox 360, PS3 games to the Wii U, and they had that for a year or two. They, you know, they had Call of Duty, they had Assassin's Creed, they yep. had all these big titles. Um, didn't really pan out. I, I tend to think that Nintendo, you know, is not just trying to make another, you know, PS4, Xbox One, and get third parties to support over from there. But you know, what what is the unique feature? What is the software that goes with that? Is it you know, uh, is it a handheld? Is it a is it a, a, a console? Is it some kind of hybrid? I mean, yeah, you know, I don't know anything more than what's sort of been uh, what do you speculated want? online. What do you right? want from a Nintendo console? What, what do you want? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you know, the the games and the IP are so fantastic, but it's it's really you know the worlds that I fall in love with more than the control schemes or you know you don't we don't really need another console. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, well, this, I, I, mean, okay. I think that's. I mean, that's what I want is I, I want the console to get out of the way, but to give us yeah, access yeah. to everything and and own yeah. it and not have it separated by different stores and different. Oh, I'd love libraries. to. Yeah, I'd love to be able to. You know, even now I travel so much. It's always heartbreaking when. I'm not like you, where I remember you would have your suitcase of like your three consoles that you could fly around with, yeah. and it's like I just can't do that. So like when I'm on the road, I would love to be able to just like airplay, you know, Assassin's Creed to my TV in the hotel and just keep playing. And yeah. It's like I, there's so many times where I would like to play games, but because I travel a lot, I just can't. Um, so yeah, I would love sort of you know Nintendo everywhere. Um, and look, I'm I'm not a big fan of the Wii the Wii U controller. I mean uh, the gamepad. I think that's just like it's hard to play with that. Um, and you sort of you know. Even with Wii U, you sort of play on that system despite, you know, the controller and things because you love the games and you love the worlds. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I'll be fascinated to see, you know, what Nintendo does. I mean, that's what makes this industry exciting is that every couple of years there's always new hardware and people get excited about it. What is it going to be? What is it going to do? How's it going to perform? Um, you know, I would love nothing more than NX to be as popular as the Wii and sort of open gaming to, you know, a much wider audience. Right. Uh, you know, mobile has done a lot of that, so I'll be I'll be fascinated. I mean, that's It's, it's done a lot of that, but it's also I think people play a lot of mobile games and they hate themselves for it, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's a good thing for games. <laughs> Agreed? Know? Yeah, no, that's right. And I think, you know, the that world of mobile is huge, but you know, I don't play Clash of Clans. I don't play some of those. I know there are massive audiences there for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see with NX. I, I you know, they still got the the Zelda, uh, you know, uh, Wii U game that you know is supposed to be coming out sometime soon, um, or I think they said 2016 for it. So yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's like, will that, you know, what will that game look like? How will that play? Uh, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, the back half of the year is so mysterious, and game companies, you know, naturally have sort of. Uh, Shortened the PR cycles around a lot of their games. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, games now get announced, like Fallout got announced at E3 shipped in November. So, I mean, Far Cry Primal was another huge surprise, too. Yeah. Who knew that that was coming yep. at all, right? Yeah. Right. They announced that, I think, November 
shipping, you know, in a couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, that, that means that, you know, they're, who knows how long the ramp will be for some of these games or systems um, as they talk about them, even like PlayStation VR. That's supposed to be coming out sometime soon. We don't know when that's coming out. So it, it'll be an interesting year. What was your favorite game last year? Favorite game of last year? Um, it was Batman Arkham Knight, right? I mean... <laughs> There, I there were aspects I really loved the Batman trilogy. Yeah. Uh, except one of those guys did a good job. Uh, it felt like they were trying to do a little too much with that game, mm. the Batmobile and all that. And it's like you know sometimes just another great story is good enough. Yeah. Uh, felt like it was sort of a lot layering on top of it. I did like that game, and it would definitely be in my um, my top five. Um, you know, I really I respected Splatoon a lot from Nintendo with mm -hmm. that just being something completely new and different. It's what people always wanted from Nintendo was like a new IP that was really fun and different. So um, I like that a lot. Uh, Metal Gear, I you know respected uh, what Kojima went through um, to get to that game, yeah, get it done and, and put it at that that level of uh, quality. So that one was really fun. I'm trying to think like the old, you know, those are my favorites i would say you know metal gear definitely i was pretty blown away especially with the the prologue and what he had done there i mean that sequence i think is just absolutely probably some of the the best engineered game yeah. um, that i've played in a couple of years and the full game i think has a lot of strengths and it's also you know has it I, I like a lot of story in my games and i think that game obviously sort of you know uh petered off a little bit with the story i yeah. think at certain parts um so yeah, last year wasn't the year where there was like this one game, like the year of like Red Dead Redemption or The Last of Us, where I was like, it is clear, like this is the game yeah. that is best, the best. And I think that's you know sort of one of the things we found at the end of the year. Like Witcher is you know phenomenal for big RPGs. Um, you know Bloodborne, same thing. I just I I did not have the time to really sort of fully grok those games, um, given everything that's going on. So yeah, I would I would say probably probably. Probably Metal Gear or Splatoon, I would say, would be the two that were my favorites last year. Okay. Um, you've got the uh, the E3 presentation stuff that you're going to be putting on with YouTube. You've got the Game Awards. Yeah. What else can people look forward to that uh, you've got cooking this year, man? I don't know. Uh, those are the two big, uh, you know, you'll see that stuff happening again. Um, there are some new things I'm working on. Uh, you know, probably do another Final Hours story that'll come out uh, at some point this year. Cool. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know, I, I'm, more and more now think about sort of what are the projects that I can take on that will, you know, truly be uh, memorable and resonant. And, you know, having done, like you, I mean, the grind of weekly television or even for you daily. Yep. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure even for you, it's uh, not to spit the question back to you, but it's like the, there's a, you know, you must feel liberated in some way that you get a little time to sort of explore what you want to do and not be on that hamster on the wheel of sort of the same content it's, again and again. It's yeah. different when you own it. And you run it, right. you know, like I, I, and I, it's kind of, I love it. I love the daily grind. I like, I like breaks from it for sure. Yeah. And I like having a full team that I can, I can uh, rely on other people to be there. Uh, but I love that we make so much material and get it out to people. And it's, uh, especially cause I, I still think that what we do is very unique, you know, like I, I feel the way that we've done television around games has always been unique. You know, and it's become very clear when you look back at the 1997 stuff, you know, and you look back at the the old historical things that we've done that we've just been making it up by the seat of our pants and having a good time the whole time. And that still kind of exists today. You know, and we're not we're not kind of uh, building it out of any kind of corporate agenda or any kind mm -hmm. of analytic. No, that there's based. a freedom to that. Right. Yeah. And you've earned that sort of freedom, even though things change. Uh, you know, for me, it's like things have shifted around. But I'm, you know, uh, like Game Awards, it's been awesome to be able to sort of make that happen and, and make a show that, you know, I can fully control and deliver what I want for the audience. So it's empowering to do that. And, yeah, yeah I think now, you know, I'm toying with the idea of, like, is there a great, you know, long-form documentary to do as a film, which I haven't done. I mean, I think of, to me, it's really about, like, what can I create that is resonant, that can sort of add something to the industry. And, you know, I could sit there and do let's play videos all day and vlogs and stuff on YouTube and it's just you know I, I, there are other people that are doing a great job with that and I think you know I guys like you and I because of the history we have the stories we know the people we know I think it's uh, you know 
the onus is on us to sort of be able to do other things that, that other folks can't. So I think I spent a lot of time thinking about sort of what are those other projects to take on. And, you know, I have big projects. And the, the things I tend to do are sort of very big profile things yep. um, that I have to sort of get myself um, fully behind. So, yeah, I'm working on like a, a music festival idea I'm working on that uh, may come together. I mean, there's sort of, you know, big things like that that I get excited about. Um, so who knows where it's going to go. But it, it, it's... It should be an exciting year, and uh, you know, hopefully, we will. You and I will be uh, working together on some stuff soon too. I hope so too, man. I am so proud of you, and uh, I know you got to split because it's it's uh, yeah, it's time for you to get going. But uh, love talking with you, brother, and we'll have you back on soon. And and I thanks, can't... Vic. And yeah, uh, you know, congratulations on all you've done with EP, and uh, I think you know, the people that watch this, I'm sure, are fans of all the programming. But uh, you know, what you've built and uh, what you've done for the industry has been. Uh, really, really important. I think you don't get enough credit because you're the nice Canadian guy up in <laughs> Vancouver. Uh, people don't realize that you know the 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 basis of a lot of this video game programming really did start with you back in the you know the mid '90s, and uh, it's important I think that people recognize that. Oh, so, uh, Godspeed great. to you, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Okay, brother, that's very sweet. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thanks, Nick. Thank right. you. Thanks for watching. Okay, that was uh, my friend Jeff Keeley. Everybody can, are they seeing my desktop right now? or my no, full? Okay, cool. <laughs> you would just see a, a huge Marvel desktop. That was awesome, and uh, I love talking with that guy, and it's it's surreal for me, I got to tell you, to kind of reminisce and, and sort of float back through all these people and lives and, and uh, individuals that I've been able to work with. I, I've been very, very lucky in my career. And uh, that, that continues because uh, I have your support and uh, I'm having a blast. But uh, it's, it is very weird to take these trips down memory lane. I will have some other people from uh, Electric Playgrounds past on the show very soon. Uh, but that's going to that's gonna be it for us right now. Thanks for watching, everybody. And, Thanks for uh, watching, everybody. And we'll see you again very soon in Vic's basement. And uh, I think we have to say Stitcher, right? Yep. Stitcher! Stitcher! See you later.